This is recording number 10975 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 4, 2012. This is the third message in the series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Soloists. And then chapter 19, Matthew 19. Now we're going to continue today a study that we began two weeks ago called Unleashing the Power of Family. Family is very powerful. And, we be, and, and I believe that it's God's intention for family to have incredibly securing, um, strengthening, freeing impact on a person's life. That's what God intended. And so we're looking at a number of subjects and themes having to do with family over these weeks and trying to recover something of a, an understanding of what God's intentions for family is. And uh, we've talked about your house, his home, that it's God's intention that the place you live, whether it's a room that you rent or a, an air mattress on your neighbor's porch, I don't know, whatever it is, where you, you call your address, where you spend the night, where you make your, take your meals, where you get your mail, that place. It's God's intention to make that an embassy of the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about the making of a, of a marriage and how to build a lasting love. And today, we're going to be talking about the soloists. Valuing the calling and overcoming the challenges of being single. Last week, I asked the single adults, uh, those who are 25 and older and unmarried in our congregation, to raise their hands. And there was a lot of folks here. Not yet the majority, but a lot of folks. Now, I, I preach the sermon, or, or I never quite know what to call what I do up here. You know, is it, is it preaching? Is it teaching? Is it sharing? And I really don't know. Whatever it is I do up here, I did that a few years ago, <laughs> about four years ago, on a similar theme. I think we had one single adult in our church at the time. But I said then what I'm going to say now. I'm teaching through you. If it doesn't actually impact your particular set of circumstances, you know people in, that are in the circle of your life's influence that I think could use some of what we're going to be talking about today. And there are fam, uh, family connections you have, people that you are connected to by, by reason of family, your children that may need to know that the Bible has a lot to say about being single. The church is often so family values, quote, quote, and there's nothing wrong with that phrase, but you've all heard it, and especially, I don't know why, but, you know, like we're in now with this political season, it seems to be thrown around as almost like a weapon, that phrase, family values. But the church is, 
is so often family values oriented or so family values oriented that single adults and single parents often feel stigmatized, marginalized, and are underappreciated by Christians. And that just shouldn't be. It just should not be. So part of what I'm wanting to do and praying for and have been anticipating God accomplishing among us is kind of um, straightening that, that bent piece of understanding out in many of our, our lives. Now I believe that this speaks um, of what God thinks about single people. And, that's, uh, and, and it's the definition of the word soloist or soloists and why I chose this title. A soloist or soloists are those who perform the featured part of a concerto or similar work in which the performer has no partner or associate. You know, it's a, it's, there's a big difference between being one of the members of the violin section and the soloist. Big difference. Not so much in skill, you know. I, I've been in, involved in music most of my life. The front man in the band, you know, the soloist in the orchestra, the band leader, not necessarily a better musician. In fact, many times not as good as some of the other musicians supporting them. But there's something unique and different. Something that they bring out that the regular run-of-the-mill musician just doesn't have. And I believe that a biblical understanding of the calling to singlehood or being single. And some of you are going to say, I don't have that calling. I'm single, but I don't have that calling. And and that's okay. We'll talk about that. But there's something about that, that calling, the featured part of a concerto or similar work. So I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 19 because what we're going to do today is we're going to listen to what Jesus and the Apostle Paul had to say about being single. And both men were single. I don't know if if you ever thought about that before, but the two major characters in the New Testament, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, were both single men through their entire lives. I want to hear what they have to say about it. And then we're going to look at two examples, two women. One of my heroes in the faith, uh, Anna. There's about three, I don't know, three or four verses in the Bible uh, that uh, uh, identify her and speak about her life. How would you like it if your whole life was reduced to about three paragraphs? How could you do that even? However insignificant you may think you are, there's no way. But, but, there's so much packed in those few verses that we're going to read today about this woman, Anna, that I'm, I'm just really looking forward to sharing that with you today. A single woman. And then we're going to look at a woman named Hagar. Also, very, very little uh, uh, in terms of scripture real estate devoted to her. 
And yet, what, a, what an incredible um, testimony that we're going to look at a single mother. And uh, so, that's where we're headed. And I want to ask you to, to uh, begin reading with me chapter 19 of Matthew and uh, verse 10. Verse 10. Now, I've got to explain before I read verse 10 that we're dropping into the middle of something. The first nine verses of chapter 19 is Jesus being drawn into this roaring debate, this roaring religious debate over divorce. And it's a huge subject and I don't want to get into it today. I've, I've taught on it and spoken about it at other times. And so if you're interested in what I think the Bible says, we can get that to you. But the point is, Jesus makes some of his most pointed, strongest statements about the importance of marriage right here in the first nine verses of chapter 19. And the, and, uh, the commitment to fidelity in marriage that he highlights and, uh, and points to. His disciples respond to that in verse 10 and they say, Oh, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. This is a high call. This is, not, this is not easy, Jesus. What you're asking of us, the commitment, the level of devotion, whoa. <laughs> Some of you ever, that are married might agree with that. Yeah, this is a little tough. And so on the heels of that statement, Jesus says this, all cannot accept this saying. What say? What they just said. Wow. If this is the case with marriage, maybe, it's, maybe it'd be better not to marry. And then Jesus says, not everybody can accept that. Only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, and let me explain what that is, as distasteful as it might be. The word eunuch has to do with an emasculated man, someone who has been castrated. Fun thing, isn't it? But now that we've said that and had that definition, turn to somebody and say, I'm going to forget what he just said. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. <laughs> For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's, mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And, and uh, usually that was voluntary. Well, because a eunuch could rise to a high position in a potentate or king's court because he could be given the job of managing the harem because it wasn't a sexual threat. And those guys, it meant a lot of, a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of prominence, authority. And, uh, and besides that, in those days, kings were considered gods. And so it was a, an expression of sacrifice and devotion to the god, you know. And there are eunuchs who have, been ma- who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He, is a, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. I want to just talk for a little bit about what Jesus has packed into these few verses about his perspective on being a single adult. First, that there are three types. Three types. Natural, meaning Someone who just is not naturally inclined to be married. Now, the church that Sue and I pastored prior to coming here to Crossroads, our associate pastor there for many years was a a woman who just never 
had any interest in being married. She was into her um, uh, early uh, 40s. Some of you who were around in those days would have met her because early in our uh, pastorate here, we had her come and speak a few times. Um, just a wonderful lady, very, very accomplished. She was a, well, I won't go into it all, but funny thing is now she is married. But, um, but she just never had any interest in being married. And there's people like that. And then there are, there are circumstantial um, singles, meaning that uh, you have found yourself in circumstances that you didn't design, divorce or, or having a spouse die or something like that. And then there are intentional singles, people who have decided to remain single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus describes three types of singles. That's important for us, I think, as a starting place to understand that not everybody's in the same boat. I said earlier, some of you who are singles or some of those single adults that you know, um, they just as soon get married tomorrow if the right person came along. But there are those who will make an intentional choice to remain single. And um, so anyway, three types. Jesus said that those who choose a life of singleness are gifted to do so. Gifted. And isn't that what we call the soloist? The guy who stands out. We call well that they're really gifted. They have something that causes them to stand out in a way that uh, others don't. And Jesus said, if you're going to, to be one of those, remember he told his disciples, not everybody can receive this, only those to whom it's been given. And he's saying that there's a gift that, that is required for a person to intentionally give themselves to a, full, a single-hearted, focused life of devotion to the kingdom of God. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I want you also to notice, though, that the way, the juxtaposition of these things, you know, Jesus talking about marriage and, and uh, how important it is and all that, and then right on the heels of that, he says, but, but not, and not everybody uh, can hear what I'm about to say. And then he goes on to talk about the gift of, of being a single adult. And the way that that's positioned, that Jesus is saying this is a calling above marriage. Now in the Christian church, we often think that, you know, well, I almost showed the, some of you remember the movie, My, my uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anyway, there's this scene in the restaurant, right, where they want her to go to Greece uh, to, get, to find a husband. And it's like, the, uh, you know, her, her parents are there and other relatives and the, the expressions on their face that she wouldn't want to do that was like, where did you come from? What sort of, what sort of Martian are you, you know, that you wouldn't want to do this? And I don't know, sometimes in the church we have this idea that, uh, that if you're not married, that somehow you're, you're, you're less than. And that's just nuts. Jesus said the exact opposite. And let's take note of that. There's a, this is a calling, not for everyone. He makes that distinction. But this is a calling above marriage. 
Now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I told you today you're going to move around a little bit. 1 Corinthians is to the south of where you've just been in, in Matthew. And when you get there, I want to ask you to turn to chapter 7. And here we're going to talk about or look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about um, being single. And beginning at verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7. We're, we're dropping into a whole section where, where Paul deals with this issue and we're only going to look at a little bit of it. But verse 7 says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. And he's talking about being single. But each one has his own gift from God, one in, in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. There is this thing in the Bible about the high calling of someone devoted to Jesus Christ. And let's don't, let's don't miss that. And then I want to ask you now to, to stay in the same chapter and look at verses 32 and 33 as he's continuing this, this um, teaching. He says, But I want you to be without care or without concern. He who is unmarried cares or is concerned for the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. First couple of things I want you to see is that Paul, addressing the subject of, of being a single, says it's desirable. It's desirable. Now, I remember when I was probably, I don't know, 13, something like that, young teenage boy, Asking a, an, an adult that I knew who was a follow, devoted follower of Jesus, I said, Do you, and, and by the way, I was just really getting aware of the fact that Jesus is, is coming back. You know, the Bible says Jesus is coming back. And in case you hadn't figured that out for yourself, let me just be the first one to tell you, Jesus is coming back. And that really started to get a hold of me. And I remember I went to this person. I said, do you think that I'll ever get a chance to be married? Will Jesus come before I get a chance to be married? Because I had a desire, I don't, I, as long as I can remember, to be married, to share life with someone in that sort of intimacy and, and uh, serve the Lord together in that, in that state. And uh, so I know what it's like to have a desire to be married. But Paul says here, I wish, my desire, is that you'd be like me. He's talking about his desire to be able to be single focused. If you're married, there is a certain amount of your life's bandwidth that is properly and, and uh, righteously given to your spouse. Now, he's not saying that single adults have more time on their hands. I hate this when I hear pastors say that. Well, you're, you're single. You could do this because you you're not doing anything else anyway. Ay, ay, ay. Every single adult I know is at least as busy, if not more, than I am. And that's not what Paul is saying. It's not about the busyness. It's about the bandwidth, the focus. And he says that there's a certain amount of focus that's required in a marriage towards your spouse that is available to the single to give to the kingdom of God. So Paul is talking about how... how this gift of being single allows a person to be 
more kingdom focused than perhaps a married person would be. And somebody that really embodies both the desiring of this life of single devotion to the kingdom of God and that focus, that kingdom focus, is this woman I have pictured on the screen here. Her name's Miriam. Miriam uh, is a woman I met um, over seven years ago. She was in the first class uh, that uh, Sue and I taught in Taiwan, the discipleship training uh, school that we we teach in twice a year. She's from Germany, a red-headed German. And... uh, she, when we met her, she was in her um, middle 20s. Now she's in her early 30s. She told me, she said, Randy, as long as I can remember, all I've ever wanted to do, all I've ever desired, all I've ever imagined was going to China and starting an orphanage. This, a, German, a girl in Germany, that's her dream. Not, not the wedding dress, the gown, the, you know, all that stuff. Her dream, I want to go to China, I want to start an orphanage. So I've been uh, her friend for all these years and her prayer partner. She today lives in China, in a, a rural but, um, um, but fairly populous city in China. She went there all by herself. Found a place to live. Uh, although she had already tr- been involved in language study and spoke fluently Chinese, she enrolled in, in um, Chinese classes there man, uh, be- because the, uh, sh- she learned Chinese in Taiwan and there's just a little bit different flavor to, to uh, mainland Chinese. So anyway, she, so she was in that. So she bought, got a place, an apartment, went, started enrolled in school, and then just started going to the nearest uh, orphanage and hanging out there playing with the kids trying to build relationships with the people who run the place and since then she's begun to take home with her as a uh, foster ch- uh, parent sort of thing the kids that are being thrown away and these are some of them each one of these kids Fu Shang. Caleb, Sam, Luca, and Leah, each one of them have had serious medical conditions. Seri- you know, one of them, uh, the littlest guy there, Luca, uh, was born without an anus. Um, one of them was deaf. Um, Fushong was deaf. Uh, Leah, the little girl on your right, um, has a cleft palate. You know, they, they. Sam, one of the little boys there, was found buried in the mud uh, Fu Shang, the deaf boy, was left um, at age three, abandoned at a railroad station by his parents. These are kids that were, were intended to just die, get out of the way, be done. You know, you're defective. So this uh, 30-something young lady, and I, I wouldn't say that she has no desire to be married, but she's busy. She's busy with the kingdom of God and transforming this world one life at a time. That is just remarkable to me. She works the communist system to get uh, medical care for these kids and these, every one of them would be dead now were it not for her. That's a calling 
above marriage. I'd like to ask you now to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at a couple of examples of women in the Bible, persons in the Bible who were single. Luke chapter 2. You probably have read about Anna before because if you read Luke chapter 2 at Christmas time, you'll, you'll come across her because she has a, a small but powerful and meaningful part in the Christmas story. I want to ask you to read along with me verses 36 through 38 in Luke chapter 2. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And there you have it. That's the life of Anna. But oh, there's a lot packed in there. There's a lot packed in there. This happens at the time when Mary and uh, Joseph bring the babe Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. And Anna, who lives, she just hangs out at the temple, the place where God is worshipped and his, his truths are taught. She just hangs out there. And so this day, it says that she was one of those who had one of the few, but there were a few. There was a cadre of people there in Jerusalem and other places who were looking for the coming of the Messiah. Now, the Messiah was promised to all, all uh uh, Israelites, all the Jews, and they, everybody sort of believed in that. But these guys, they were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. And uh, long story short, uh, another guy there who was also one of these who were looking for the Messiah uh, lets her know, he's here. A huge step of faith. This little babe, little eight-year-old, I mean, eight-day-old babe. But they know, they know. And so that's what she's, she's, uh, that's how she comes into the story. But we're told here that this woman, she was married for seven years. And, you know, a Jewish, uh, uh, young, a Jewish woman could be married as young as, you know, 13, 14 in there. Uh, but, and she was married for seven years. So she was probably widowed, I mean, easily within her, by the time she was in her mid-20s. Now she's 84, and she spent that entire, her entire life singly focused on the kingdom of God. She was single by choice. And that was a tough choice in those days. Because a woman really didn't have any way to support herself uh, without a husband. It was a, it was a hard road to hoe. But she chose to serve the kingdom of God. It was intentional. And she's addressed in the very first verse of this three-verse passage that describes her life as a prophetess. Someone who spoke for God. Someone whose words were treasured. She was a treasure. For her sing because of her single devotion 
to God and to his purposes. It says that she served in the temple with fastings and prayers night and day. I love Anna's testimony and I wish I had even more time to to focus in on her. I don't because I want to finish out today by talking about Hagar and I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to the very first book in that Bible and chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. God has promised Abram who will become Abraham and Sarai who will become Sarah. He's promised them that they will have children and so many offspring, so much progeny, so you know, such a, a lineage that the, the numbers would exceed the, the stars in the heavens, the sands, and the seashore. But they're in their 80s and they don't have any kids yet. They have this promise, but they don't have the fulfillment of that promise yet. And they think the clock's running out. And so Sarah gets this idea, well... All right, how about we do this? How about if I give you my Egyptian handmaiden, Abram, as a second wife, and maybe you can have children. We can have this thing. We'll, we'll figure out a way to get God's <laughs> plan fulfilled by our own design. You can have kids through this woman, and you know, we'll call it good. <laughs> well, uh, so they do this. Now, I don't, you know, well, anyway, I was going to talk about Abram, but I won't. Anyway, they, uh, so they do this. And Hagar is the Egyptian handmaiden. And she does become pregnant. And then there's this tussle between Hagar and Sarai. And now Sarai is not so sure that she did the right thing. And Hagar has been put in a position she didn't desire, she didn't plan on. And so it's a mess. And so Sarah gets permission from Abram to send her away. And they send uh, Hagar out into the wilderness. (laughs) Single woman all by herself. They cut her off from everything. They send her out into the wilderness. Uh, The people of God here are not behaving very well, are they? (laughs) Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, and by the way, when you see that in the Old Testament, that phrase, uh, the angel of the Lord, you're, you're looking at an occasion when the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, is showing up um, be prior to his, his incarnate state, prior to coming uh, in flesh. So this is Christ. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, not probably what she wanted to hear, And submit yourself under her hand. Again, probably not what she wanted to hear. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will, now listen, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Verse 13, then she she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. Now turn to chapter 21, same book. Genesis 21. And now, this child, his name is Ishmael, this boy is born. And uh, we're dropping in about 15 to 18 years later. So, first encounter we, of uh, Hagar in the wilderness happens when she's pregnant. Now we're going to encounter another time 
when she's in the wilderness um, after the boy turns uh, 15 to 18. And I, if, if her son was anything like my kids were at that age, you'd have found me in the wilderness too. <laughs> but that's the problem. Uh, Abram and Sarai actually have a child now. And he's about ready to be weaned. And um, uh, Hagar's son, um, Ishmael, is mocking this little baby. It gives you a little bit of an understanding of his temperament. And so Sarai gets really ticked off again and they cut her off again. They send her off in the wilderness with her son. Verse 14. So Abraham, that's his name now, rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder he gave it and the boy he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot so about 100 yards away football field away because She said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Very pitiful situation. She's lost all hope. She's there and they're just going to die. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? I love this. The way God so often draws out from us what's really going on. What ails you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation. He'd already promised that to her but she's forgotten. She's lost her grip on the promises of God and she's hopeless. Anybody here ever had that experience? Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water, gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. There's an awful lot that could be said about Ishmael, good and bad, but God fulfilled his promises. He kept those promises. And through Ishmael, Hagar had uh, a huge family and impact on the future of the world. Verse 21, he, uh, Ishmael, dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. Get this though. It says, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That may sound like a little footnote, but it's a big deal. This single woman who was sent out in the wilderness with a skin of water and some bread is prospered sufficiently that she could pay the dowry for a wife for her son. That's pretty significant. So I want to just close things out today by making some observations on these two passages that we read identify a couple of lessons and then just talk about some of the blessings that we see here and then we'll get you out of here. First of all, observations. Single parenthood was not her choice. Unless you're some kind of uh, Hollywood starlet, nobody signs up for single parenthood. And that was true for her and it might be true for you too. You're in that situation and circumstance not by design. Neither was she. She faced serious financial hardship. She had very few options. And that is so typical of single parenthood, is it not? 
Well, there's all the mess between the ex-spouse and all of that stuff, and money is just seems to be such a part of it. It's tragic, but it is. I like. I mean, I don't. I don't know what to think about this, but it's right there in the text. She made the people of God uncomfortable, and sadly, single-parent families often make the church uncomfortable we don't know what to do with you and that just shouldn't be it just should not be we're all in this the same together we all have the same we all inherit the same promises of God if anything we ought to be more focused on you more supportive of you than we are she had to deal with the impact of her marital circumstances on her child Part of this struggle and trauma that she had, or troubles that she had raising this boy and what he f- became in his future, because Jesus even predicted he's going to be a wild man. And he, and he was. And you, you could read more about Ishmael. But part of that was the result of the fact that she was left to raise this child alone in the shadow of another couple. And, it, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy raising kids alone. And the trauma that has proceeded the fact that you are a single parent, that heartache that resulted in that condition casts a shadow over everything. It's tough. She had trouble holding on to hope for her future. And I, I have, I've never been single in my entire life. I moved from my parents' house at age 19 to be married and live with the woman I've been hanging out with for nearly 38 years now. So, you can take this for what it's worth. I don't know firsthand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I've been a pastor for 30 years and drawn into the circumstances of every kind of situation that people in, in this life face. There's almost nothing I haven't heard or had to deal with or help people through. And as a pastor of many singles and single parents over the years, I can tell you I do know a few things. And one of those is that it's a struggle sometimes to hold on to hope. The promises that you have from God, there's a lot of working against that. You find yourself loosening your grip on on the hope for a bright future. Don't. The lessons that we learn from Hagar's life is don't surrender to anger, unforgiveness, fear and despair. That was what that was why the Lord said to her, I want you to go back. Go back and submit yourself to Hagar as messed up as those people are. It's for your sake that you don't hold on to that anger and that bitterness and all that other crud that will ruin you. Let it go. Go back. Build a deep connection with the family of God. There is no church, no group of Christians anywhere that's perfect. But if you are single or you are, especially if you're a single parent, you need the church. Dig deep. Don't hang around the peripheral. Don't be on the, on the edges of the life of a congregation, of this congregation. Dive deep. And trust in the Lord and hold tightly to Him because He will keep His promises and that brings us to the blessings be hard to, to read Hagar's story and really see much blessing there, but there's a lot. First, a previously hidden fountain 
of life-giving resource was revealed for her in the wilderness of her dire situation. Something that she was not aware of in her hopelessness. All of a sudden, when, when the Lord penetrates that, he says, look at, look at right over here. And then there's this sustaining well of resource to her, life-giving nourishment to her. And there is for you, dear one, too, in the wilderness of your situations, however dire they may seem. She was able to make a home and a life in the wilderness against all odds. The Lord enabled her to prosper sufficiently, I already mentioned, to be able to... uh, purchase or pay the dowry for a wife or her son. That's just such an indication of the miraculous intervention of God in this woman's life. And the Lord kept his promises to her concerning her son. Your children, your sons, your daughters, if you're a single parent here today, you have promises from God. You have the ones that he has breathed into those deep places of your soul, but you also have a book full of them right here in your lap. He will keep keep every one of them and your circumstances don't change them at all. They do not affect the promises of God.